0: All right. Welcome to part one of um, Daniel shining in Babylon. Go ahead, grab your Bible. If you have a physical copy or a digital copy, find the book of Daniel. Um, If you've got a a, a Gutenberg Bible as opposed to a Google Bible, it's about halfway through. Um, You can find it there. Um, And I want to tell you before we jump into it, um, where the, the, the tagline for this series comes from. Obviously, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to look at the first six, uh, six or seven chapters. We'll look at the others um, in another series at some point down the line. But Shining in Babylon, where does that come from? It actually comes from the book of Daniel. And it comes from all the way from chapter 12, verse 3. This is where the tagline comes from. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. The book of Daniel is about how to be a faithful witness in a dark, hostile world. That's where this series is going and where it's come from. Jesus would later go on to say to his followers, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good deeds and they praise your father in heaven. We find ourselves in dark times. We find ourselves in a hostile world, and Daniel has a lot to say to us. So we're going to jump into this today. Here's where his story begins. Daniel 1, starting in the first verse, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Sit with that for a second. God delivers the king of Israel, the king of Judah, into the king of Babylon's hand, along with some of the artifacts from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house. Of his God. Now, a little bit of background. You got to go back into um, other parts of the Old Testament and you got to read where um, Israel has kings, right? They have multiple kings. And it's kind of like Wizard of Oz. Is he a good king or is he a bad king? Is he a good witch or is he a bad, right? There's good kings and there's about seven bad ones. And then there's a good king and there's about three bad ones. And it's just this constant over and over and over God sending the prophets to, to the kings, to the leaders of Israel saying, Wake up. (laughs) You're stiff-necked. You're disobedient. You're not running after. You're not obeying the Lord God Almighty. You're going after all of these foreign idols, these foreign gods. And time and time again, God warns them over and over and over. And here in 605 B.C., under the leadership of King Jehoiakim, God kept his promise. Exile is the reality facing God's people in the book of Daniel. And here we are, three minutes into the message. And for some of you, Daniel is a warning. It's a warning that you are stiff-necked, you are disobedient, you are running after false gods, and don't believe for one second that God won't send you into some kind of exile like he did his people. Daniel is in exile. He's not home. He's not where it's comfortable. He's where it's really, really hard. They're in exile. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He wants the best of the best He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. They they were to become schooled in all of the ways of Babylon. Welcome to the program, fellas. You're about to get a real crash course in what it looks like to be a Babylonian. Now, let's talk about Babylon for a minute because there's some important symbolism here at work. In Daniel, in the book of Daniel... Babylon refers to a specific earthly kingdom in the 6th century B.C. We would know it as as modern-day Iraq, right? But Babylon actually shows up all throughout the Bible, and it represents something, okay? Um, Anybody remember the story from Genesis 11 where all mankind gathers together at the plain of Shinar in order to build this great tower and make a name for themselves? You remember that story? Do you know where the plain of Shinar is? Babylon. Yeah. And remember what the tower was called? Tower of Babel. Babel. Babylon. Nicely played, God. Okay. The early Christians referred to Rome as Babylon, even though Rome was in no way connected geographically or politically to Babylon. And then in Revelation... Babylon becomes the Apostle John's code name for the world system opposed to the kingdom of Jesus. My point is, in the Bible, Babylon is both a physical geographical reality, but it's also the term for the spiritual kingdom at work in sexual, or, or secular world powers. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> secular world powers from Genesis... To Revelation, okay? And just so we're clear, the kingdom of Babylon is still very much alive today. The kingdom of Babylon is any kind of kingdom, system, organization in opposition to God, independent of God, where man is in charge, man is at the center. The kingdom of Babylon has always used secular government, secular media, secular business, and economics to make war against God's kingdom and God's people. And and here's the thing. Most of us in this room, like Daniel, are called to work and serve in Babylon. There's a few of us that are called to work in the church, but the majority of us are called to serve in Babylon. Six out of seven days of your week, you're working and living in Babylon. The book of Daniel is a manual for how to shine in Babylon. That's what this book is about. Even, even the literary makeup of Daniel speaks to this. You, don't, you might not realize this because your, your Bible is translated into English, but chapter 1 of Daniel is written in Hebrew because it starts in the land of Israel. Chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic, the language of Babylon, because that's where the events of 2 through 7 take place. And then chapters 8 through 12 are Daniel's prophecies about the future. They revert back to Hebrew. So even the literary makeup of Daniel is just screaming to us this question. You know how to be faithful in your homeland and in your mother tongue. Can you be faithful in Babylon? You know how to be faithful on your home turf. Can you be faithful in enemy territory? Let's bring it to today. You know how to be faithful on Sunday morning. What does it look like to be faithful Monday through Saturday? That's the question. Here's here's the question that we're going to wrestle with throughout the entire book. What does faithfulness to God look like in an unfaithful, secular culture? How do we live? How do we shine in a world controlled by secular powers in opposition to the gospel? That's really the question we're going to go after throughout this series. Okay. So back to the story. Daniel is one of four young men that we're told good looking, smart, healthy, athletic, best of the best. And and they're enlisted in Nebuchadnezzar's program in his service. Okay. And I don't want you to think of this like an episode of bachelor Hebrew edition. (laughs) Okay. That's not what's happening here. Um, Verse 3 says that they were put under the chief eunuch, which means they would have been made eunuchs themselves. Um, Any capacity for Daniel and his buddies to ever have children was quite literally crushed. Plato um, tells us that people enlisted in these kinds of ancient training programs were anywhere from 14 to 17 years old. So Daniel's probably 15 when this happens to him, not only that, but these, these Hebrew boys had good God-honoring names. And when they show up in Babylon, they're given names. Nebuchadnezzar changes their names to speak praise to his God. Daniel, which means God is my judge, is changed to Belshazzar, which means Baal protects the king. Hananiah means God is gracious. His name was changed to Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku. Aku is the Babylonian moon god. Michelle means there is none like God. It was changed to Meshach. There is none like Aku. And then Azariah means God has helped me. His name was changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo, which is the Babylonian god of wisdom. So just, just, just think for a second what's happened to these 15 year old high school boys. You've got a 15 year old, think about this. They watched their homeland invaded, they watched their families killed the temple is desecrated their futures as husbands and fathers have taken from them and their names are changed to praise a foreign god from now on when somebody calls their name it's a slap in the face to everything they believe is holy and true some of you have been placed in difficult circumstances i dare say daniel and his buddies have you beat they are in Babylon. What does faithfulness when all that happens to you look like? Pick it up in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. The, the royal food and wine would have included a lot of things that were that, that basically forbidden by the Torah for Hebrews. It's, it's the first faithfulness test. For Daniel and his buddies, do, do you, are you going to conform to the Babylonian culture, or are you going to stick with what you know is true, what, what you know is right? Are you going to stick to the Torah, right? And Daniel asks if he and his friends can eat from a different menu, which at the very least is a really annoying request from a prisoner. Right? Like if you're in charge of feeding a group of people, you're not exactly happy when different people demand different things. Thought some moms would say amen there, but <laughs> that was your chance. Or dad's for that matter, right? Can 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 we eat something different? Look at this, verse nine. But now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to him, please test your servants for 10 days. Just give us 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, pause right here for a second, please. Please, 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 please do not think that Daniel just gave you some secret superior Jesus-blessed keto diet, okay? That is not what's happening here. And if you use these verses to talk about some kind of biblical mandate for essential oils, you and I cannot be friends. That is not what's happening here, okay? Okay? These are the things that Daniel and his buddies could eat because everything else was ritually defiled. That's what's happening here. Go ahead and eat vegetables and water for 10 days. That's fine. Do your diet, okay? But that's not the point of these verses. Daniel says, let us eat vegetables and water. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. What was the result of all this? Skip down to verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the musicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Babylon was a big kingdom. And yet these four boys stood out. More than anybody else. What happens when Daniel and his buddies remain faithful in the midst of an unfaithful culture? What happens? God honored them. Now, we have to be careful. Don't hear this as a magic formula. Don't hear this as if I do A, God will do B every single time. That's not what's happening here. As we're going to find out throughout the series, sometimes you do the right thing and you suffer for it. So this is not some kind of magical formula, but there is a consistent biblical principle showing up in Daniel chapter 1. And the principle is this, God, when you commit to doing things God's way, God will oftentimes glorify himself by honoring you. To say it another way, God honors those who honor him. So here's the first bottom line from Daniel I want us to walk away with. You can't make a difference unless you're different. You can't make a difference unless you're different. If you want to make a difference in Babylon, if you want to make a difference in America, if you want to make a difference in Topeka, if you want to make a difference in Carbondale or Osage City or Holton or wherever you live, if you want to make a difference, you have to be different. Now, one caveat One rabbit trail, and then I'll explain what I mean by that. Different doesn't mean weird. Amen. Thank you. Being different is not an excuse for Christian weirdness. Okay? And most of you know what I mean, but I'm just going to lay it out there just so we're all clear, okay? Your greatest witness to Jesus will never be your aggressive bumper stickers. Okay, and I I know I just offended some of you. Send your emails to markgiffen at gptopeka.org. I read them all. I read them all, okay? Honk if you love Jesus. Text if you want to meet him. No. Just don't. Just don't do it, okay? And don't even get me started on social media. God answers an email okay? That's true, but it's, that's just weird. Like Adam and Eve, right? This is one. Adam and Eve were the first ones to ignore the Apple terms and conditions. Just don't. <laughs> and listen, some of you are like, that's really good. I'm going to put that on Facebook today. <laughs> You're part of the problem. Okay? Okay. And listen, by the way, some of you have met, some of you, you know, you know we know what we're talking about, right? Like some of you have met, some, those, some of those Christians are weird. I've been doing this for long enough to know they would be weird even if they weren't Christians. <laughs> so don't blame Jesus, okay? It's not an excuse for being weird. We can be different without being weird. For these Hebrew teenagers, the first application of being different was faithfulness to what they ate and drank. Like how practical is that? They they said no to the royal food and wine. So we're no longer under Torah law like they were. So we should ask, what does that look like for us today? What does it mean for us to say no to the royal food and wine presented to, to us in our modern day Babylon? Well, it was good enough for the Trinity. I got three things for you, okay? Three things that we can do to be different. Number one, we show we're different. By living according to different values. You can show we're different by living according to different values. St. Augustine, um, he said that followers of Jesus are most distinguishable from the world in their attitude towards three things. They're the big three. Come back to over and over and over again. Money, sex, power. Money, sex, power. Let's talk about those three things. Number one, money. Babylon approaches money from a value of acquisition. Get as much as you can. Keep as much as you can. Maybe give away a little to show you're a good person and maintain favor with the community. But money, that's the key to the good life. That's how Babylon approaches money. Jesus' followers have different values when it comes to money. Yes, we live off of money just like everybody else. But our value around money is it's not mine, it was placed in my hands for a reason. So followers of Jesus don't simply ask, when God prospers us, we don't simply ask, how can we extend our standard of living? We ask how we can extend our standard of giving. That's a, that's a biblical, so follow me here, okay? If, if, you're, if you're committed to follow Jesus with your money, you're going to consistently throughout your life be three steps behind the same people that are in the same tax bracket as you are. Okay, let me, let me explain. One thing that is true of human nature throughout human history is we know about the same people who are in the same tax bracket as we are. And we compare ourselves. We compare ourselves. Okay, well, how do they afford that? Well, they're probably house poor. Or clearly they spend all their money on clothes. Or do you see all the vacations they post about on Insta? Right? We compare, we compare ourselves. The Bible teaches three things about money that distinguish us from the world. Number one, we don't go into debt for non-essentials. The the average American lives 5% above their means and has about $15,000 in credit card debt. How are we doing church? We don't go into debt. For non-essentials. Number two, we save. Proverbs says the wise man saves. You don't even want me to tell you the statistics on the average American and their savings. And then number three, we give. We're generous. And 10% is the starting point, not the finish line. We, We should be different than the world around us, especially those who are in the same tax bracket as us. And yes, I think it should be noticeable. We should should be able to say, look, I'm I'm living differently because of these values. So college students, high school students, young adults, when you get into that stage where you're trying to to, to work through and pray through and get counsel about what you're going to do with your life, the, the values of Babylon when approaching a career ask this question, what job will make me most fulfilled and get me the most money? That's a Babylon value. A biblical value is which career serves the Great Commission the best. And this isn't about becoming a pastor or a missionary. Maybe it is. But everybody is called. Every Christian is called. We're a kingdom of priests. The question is where and how? Which value are you going to go for? Um, I'm just going to meddle for those of you in or around retirement. You can approach this season of your life like this. I finally have enough money and time to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with no obligations. Or you can approach it like this. I'm finally at a place where I have the most to contribute and the financial and time flexibility to invest in the kingdom. I'll let you decide which one is a Babylonian value and which one is a biblical value. The American dream The Babylonian dream and the Great Commission will not take you to the same place. We should be different with our money, how we view, how we handle it. That's one way we live by different values. Second of the big three, sex. Okay? Babylon approaches sex from the standpoint of it's all about me. I get to decide what's right. I get to decide what feels. Like. And if, if, I, if it feels good to me, it can't be wrong. Followers of Jesus see sex as a gift from God to be used for his purposes according to his design. It was said of the early Christians that they were um, promiscuous with their money and guarded with their beds. And the Romans were guarded with their money and promiscuous with their beds. They lived different first century Christians, they looked weird to the Romans. And in the same way, our views, our our values around human sexuality is a litmus test for which kingdom we're going after. Money, sex. Third thing, power. For Babylon, whatever power you have, press it to your advantage. Use it. If it's your looks, use that. If it's your money, use that. If it's your talent, your, your majority culture status, your minority status, use that. Whatever power you have is to be pressed for your own advantage. Followers of Jesus see position and power and privilege differently. They view it like Jesus did, something with which to serve others. The follower of Jesus asks, how can I use my power, how can I use my privilege to benefit those around me? So is your approach to money, sex, and power more characterized by Babylon or the Bible? And if our priorities are shaped by Scripture, we're going to look as strange to our culture as Daniel did to his. We're going to look different because we decided to live different. Just as an example... Um, Jana and I have spent a lot of time over the past four years watching a lot of marching band competitions. (laughs) And in marching band, every eye of every member of the marching band is trained on the conductor, right? There's usually two in the front and one in the back. And you go, you march, you go at the beat of what they are giving you. Just imagine if one of those individuals had their AirPods in listening to Drake or Lil Wayne How's that person going to look? Chaotic. (laughs) Completely, completely unplugged, right? Strange, out of rhythm. Why? Because they're dialed into a beat from somewhere else. So who are you dialed into? (laughs) Who are you getting your rhythm from, your marching orders from? Do you look any different from the world around you? We show we're different by living according to different values. That's the first thing. Second thing, we show we're different by refusing to compromise our integrity. These these four Hebrew boys didn't compromise their convictions, even when doing so could have cost them. They had no idea what Ashpenaz was going to say, had no idea how, which direction it was going to go, but they refused to compromise their integrity. I read a story a few weeks ago of a hotel owner. He chose not to offer pornography at his hotel, even though that's one of the most lucrative things a hotel owner can do. Giving up about $100,000 a year, even for a small hotel. But he chose to say no, even though it cost him. Again, this is not a promise. It's not a magic formula. Sometimes you do the right thing and you suffer. But testimonies, stories, the witness of people like Daniel shows us God often uses your refusal to compromise as the vehicle through which he will show off his power and glory in your life. If we want to be different, we must refuse to compromise our integrity no matter what it costs us. And that's really easy for me to stand up here and say, it's a whole lot easier for me to walk out of those doors and do. Number three, last thing. We show we're different by conforming to scripture, not culture. This is true in every single culture from the beginning of time. The way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, is countercultural in every culture it finds us. You, you've heard me talk about this before. You've heard me joke about the idea that the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. Like, if you're not offended, you're not paying close enough attention. It, it, it offends, and it's different in different places. In some cultures, Scripture's teaching on the sanctity of marriage is what offends. In others, it's Scripture's emphasis on grace or generosity or giving away power. In some cultures, it's Jesus's emphasis on the equality of everyone made in the image of God that offends because it threatens the system. And then in other cultures, it's God's authority over creation that offends people. Like the fact that God made male and female uniquely different. And we can't reassign our genders based on how we feel. And please, 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 don't hear any of that as an attempt to get you to agree with one side of the political aisle. Conforming to Scripture will put us out of fashion with both the right and the left because neither platform fully captures the essence of the kingdom of God because both are political parties of Babylon. There are a lot of things associated with the political left that Scripture would offend. How, how they view unborn life like a commodity to be discarded for the sake of convenience. How they reject Christian understandings of morality and gender and call that Oppression and how they leave no room for discussion or disagreement on those things and threaten to cancel you if you object. Those are all things Scripture would be opposed to. But there are a lot of things associated with the political right in opposition to Scripture too. The political right goes beyond healthy patriotism and appreciation for American freedom to an unhealthy embrace of Christian nationalism. There's some on the right that urge us to place our hope for the future in American exceptionalism and might. And there are also some on the right that talk as if the greatest human value is to protect our own rights, pursue our own interests, and ignore those less privileged. Followers of Jesus refuse to conform to everything Babylon. We don't belong to the donkey. We don't belong to the elephant. We belong to the lamb, and that's a whole different animal. Probably a bumper sticker. I apologize. <laughs> Here's the question. What do we do when Babylon requires us to eat the royal food? What do you do when they, when they, <laughs> when they cram it down your throat? What do you do when you're required to eat the royal food? If we're going to be like Daniel... If you want to make a difference, we take our stand in the places that puts us in opposition to to popular opinion, to majority status, to CNN or Fox News or whatever you watch. And when people say, but you're going to be on the wrong side of history, we don't care. We don't care about being on the wrong side of history. We care about being on the wrong side of Scripture. And yes, there are times in the church's history, where we have been on the wrong side of history because we were on the wrong side of Scripture. The same is true. The same is true for us. Let's go back to where we started. You can't make a difference unless you are different. One of the ironies of church history, especially in America, around the 1950s, our culture began to change. And its opinion on on Orthodox Christianity and morality changed too. And there were some churches, there were some denominations that started saying things like this, if we don't change our old-fashioned, outdated views, we'll be so offensive to our culture, we'll lose our influence. Those churches, those denominations, that thinking that took a stance, they took that stance, they are the ones that have shrunk the fastest and today are on the brink of complete irrelevance. They tried to stay relevant. Today, they're completely irrelevant. They lost their influence because they refused to be different than the culture around them. If you want to be different, if we want to be different, you have to be different. If you want to make a difference, the best example of this, surprise, surprise, is Jesus. Jesus liked people who was nothing like him. And people who were nothing like him liked Jesus. Never had someone so clearly and purely exalted God's perfection. And at the same time, gathered people that were not perfect around him. Prostitutes, tax collectors, the worst of the worst. They all wanted to be around him, even though they were nothing like him. Why? Why? Because his life pointed to an entirely different kingdom. He was completely different, a kingdom of purity and wholeness and grace and forgiveness. Watching Jesus' life was like watching someone march to a different beat. It's like he had ear pods in and nobody else did. That's what Daniel's about, okay? The point of Daniel is not that he and his friends could ever be so righteous enough to win Babylon back to God. That's not the point, and neither can we. David, or Daniel's life is a foreshadowing of a Savior who would come to perfectly display the kingdom of God. A Savior that would not defile himself with any of Babylon's delicacies, and it would cost him his life. Unlike Daniel, Jesus wasn't just threatened with death for doing the wrong thing. He actually suffered it. And then, to live out the values of the kingdom offers grace and forgiveness to the people who killed him. <laughs> and he didn't just God didn't just bring him be- back, you know, better and healthier after 10 days. God raised him after 3. And 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 because of that victory, because of the victory that Jesus won for you, you can follow his lead. You can live out the kingdom values. In our modern day Babylon and God, again, has called most of us to spend our days in Babylon and he wants to use you like he used Daniel. He wants to use you like he used Jesus to make a difference. He puts you where you are, where you are. You are there on purpose to make a difference and you do that by being different. Here's the question. Are you willing to be different to make a difference? Am I willing to be different to make a difference? That's chapter one of Daniel. Next week, let's do chapter two. Hope you come back next week. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for Daniel. His life, his testimony that is still, it's echoed throughout the ages, to us today. And it's so relevant to where we find ourselves. God, I pray, really, just a simple prayer, (laughs) that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what you have just said, and the courage to walk out those doors and to do it. And in the end, we ask that you would honor and glorify yourself through our lives, whether it be easy and comfortable or whether it be really, really hard. Give us the wisdom to know and the courage to do. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.